Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Daily Friends Show. I am your host, Nicholas Lorimer, joined today by Mr. Herman Pretorius. Herman, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Just before we started the show, Nick sort of made me aware of the fact that Pretoria will shortly um, be reaching evaporation temperatures. So I'm fine for now. I mean, I'm, I'm still mostly <laughs> liquid and solid. Indeed, the warm days are here. And we are also joined by Sarah Gon. Sarah, how are you? I have no intention of being... And I live in Joburg, so it'll be cooler. Uh, hopefully, hopefully. But uh, it's still going to be like 32 or something in Joburg on Wednesday. Uh, right, let's get started off with news concerning us from the USA. So, expropriation without compensation, the government's... Uh, plan in the expropriation bill to basically be able to take away people's property and then not have to pay them for it has been flagged as a major risk to South Africa's democracy at a congressional hearing that was held in the United States last week were many comments and, and there was input from a variety of organizations and American politicians but Congressman John James said it perhaps best when he said uh, there is no country in the world that has remained democratic after removing its population's private property rights, and I remain concerned about the ANC's democratic drift away from constitutional rule. Herman, what do you make of this? Is this going to change things in South Africa? What uh, What's the impact of the U.S. Congress criticizing EWC? In the battle of ideas, any form of pressure is welcome. And, you know, any, any opportunity to exert influence, grab headlines, um, start conversations, put opponents in difficult positions, um, that's, that's the sort of the vehicle that one has. Um, and in the past, there have been successful attempts to get um, the United States talking about expropriation without compensation in South Africa. And it always has an effect. Um, it is a difficult thing to balance when you're in the battle of ideas that we are dealing with the ANC who are intense ideologues, but there are also ideologues with something of an ego um, or ideologues with something of a pragmatist streak in some cases. The point is that if you get enough people to call your chosen political opponent uh, out on their mistakes, chances are that that will affect your opponent in some way. Even apartheid, the insularity of apartheid, couldn't survive global condemnation and the judgment of the international community. It matters. Does it shift the needle? Yes. Does it shift the needle into the green zone? Of course not. But it is welcome that someone like John James, who is, I think, were he a, were he a South African, I think he would be quite at home in the, in the Institute of Race Relations, the moderate middle. He is a Republican from Michigan, so a Republican from a purple state. He's, I think, someone to take seriously. And the fact that this conversation happens in the most important legislative body in the world, whether we like it or not, whether we appreciate it or not. The fact is that whatever pressure can come is useful. Now, Lady Pondor has responded to this. We've heard rumblings through back channels, through diplomatic channels of responses to this. So these things 
matter and it is welcome. And I think one of the hopeful consequences of this is it's very important that we get moderate voices in the American political sphere to take seriously the concerns that we have. We all remember when Trump tweeted about farm murders. That was very good in one sense because it took a topic of great importance to a level of saliency that it didn't have before. But it also positioned it very squarely within a specific ideological basket. And someone like John James is, I think, of that persuasion, of that accessibility on the American political spectrum that could be a foot in the door to get broader acceptance into the American moderate middle and the influence that might come from there. So I welcome it. It's not a massive victory, but it certainly is a shot well fired. Now, I think it's really good that we're getting more international attention on this because EWC is a real threat to South Africa's uh, good functioning, not just its sort of democracy and stuff, but of course its economy, because if property rights are damaged like this, we won't get investment, we won't get growth, and we won't get the kind of uh, changes to our economy that will lift people out of poverty. So it's a real threat, not just to our freedoms, but also to our, our, uh, our well-being. Um, Sarah, what do you make of this? Um, this seems like a pretty positive uh, comment that we're hearing from in the halls of the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, I echo Herman in that what I like about the comment is it's straightforward, it's blunt, it's not rude, it's not aggressive, um, and it goes to the core of something that has nothing to do with Russia or China or ever misbegotten totalitarian state we wish to befriend. It's a fundamental principle that is only found in democratic societies. If you don't want to be a democratic society, you'll go for EWC, which is effectively state ownership at the end of the day. Um, it is, let's put it this way, it, it, I think it's certainly going to be a problem for a lot of the West when it comes to um, investing in a country that no longer has private property rights. And, you know, while the ANC may poo-poo the West, it's, they still keep, you know, they were hosting the AGOA conference apparently and we're, we're still con apparently concerned about AGOA. It's all of those things because what essentially John James is saying is that if you're going to go this route, there's nothing for us to talk about. So it may as well be AGOA and there may as well be a whole lot of other things. And whatever one may say about AGOA, good or bad, you're in it and you get certain benefits from it. That's not to say you can't expand into a whole lot of... Um, private investment deals one way or the other. But, you know, it, it would look pretty grim if the once Democratic Republic of South Africa, uh, the, you know, the, well, the so-called Democratic South Africa, is, is either moved out of a goer because it's, it doesn't conform with the principles on which, you, on which membership applies, or because they go back and they say, look, we're actually not poor enough to be in the, although we are getting there fast. Um, and also, I think that, that someone that, like him says that it's not a kind of usual suspect. So it's quite difficult to sort of attack him on a personal basis and and, and ridicule him in any way. It's it's it. it I think it helps. Um, as as someone said, you know, you have to try and pick it up and run with it as best you can. But uh, I think one, uh, it was Anthea Jeffrey who said that today that at the um, 
represent oral representations to the NCOP on the on the bill on um, EWC, Jacob Zuma appeared to say, "No, no, no, we need the whole, we deserve the whole of South Africa." To be followed by First Nations person saying, "No, we are entitled to the whole of South Africa." So, you know, my advice is listen to John Joe. Let's get this out of the way, and we could actually look at achieving some investment and therefore some growth. And it's yeah, also fun. important uh, to to uh, note that the ANC, until relatively recently, until I would go as far as to say the, the last two years, culminating really in the Lady R incident, uh, Americans and Europeans have seen the ANC as the party of Mandela, as the liberation movement. So the mere fact that a legislator in Congress can make a point critical of the ANC is a sort of progress. And we shouldn't forget that there's no sprint in the battle of ideas. The ANC built for 30 years an international consensus around its legitimacy before it could make domestic political gains of the size that we are now trying, I think, to reverse. So I, I think that in and of itself, the ANC losing its luster um, and that being allowed to happen and that being uncontroversial and happening, very, very, very useful um, uh, for the battle of ideas here. The ANC, you cannot fight against semi-divine mythology um, if you need people who, the support of people who still believe that they are, you know, party of Mandela. So that is also another useful takeaway here, I think. Yeah, it would be extremely useful, I think, to safeguarding South Africa's, South Africans' right to property and uh, democracy and all that to see people from both parties in the US uh, beginning to criticize the ANC and putting pressure on them internationally um, to, you know, turn from this disastrous course of action, which the expropriation bill promises to be. Okay, let us move on to our next topic. And this is that the South African Environmental Ministry has given the go-ahead to Total to begin drilling offshore uh, for natural gas and oil after rejecting an appeal by a number of lobby groups and individuals who are protesting against uh, Total's plan. Uh, Total is looking at planning at, at drilling five exploration wells, looking for oil and gas off the South African coast. This is about, I think, 60 to 100 kilometers off the coast between Cape Town and Cape Agulhas, so the, right at the south of the country. And uh, there's some speculation and I think some evidence so far that there could be a very significant amount of oil and gas in this part of the world. Um, a number of, uh, of organizations objected to this, saying that they would they, they didn't want this drilling to go ahead because there would be marine noise that would disrupt wildlife. There would be uh, potential for oil spills. Uh, there were objections on the idea of drilling for any oil at all because of climate change. And there were also, of course, the usual thing that, <laughs> that everyone says when they're objecting to something, which is that there was insufficient public consultation. Uh, but Barbara, Barbara Creasy, who's the minister, um, said, uh, dismissed their concerns and in a 144-page ruling, which said, 
Quote, I am therefore satisfied that the impacts of noise and light have been adequately assessed and mitigated to ensure low-level impacts on the receiving environment. As such, this ground of appeal is dismissed. Um, Sarah, what do you make of this? It, could this be, I mean, assuming that we do find the oil and gas there, and this is not the only place in the country where they mm. think there might be significant oil and gas, right? There's, I think, some places mm. in Pumalanga and the Free State as well. Mm. It could well be that South Africa is sitting on a very large chunk of fossil fuels. Mm. What do you make of this? Well, I think it's incredibly interesting because, and I, I do know that the inland uh, fields are obviously much easier to to exploit, uh, so they can be exploited more quickly. But it's interesting for, from a number of points of view because, um, given the trouble Shell had with with uh, the climate, the eco lobby uh, on uh, in, on the wild coast, and they eventually, after going through court case to the end of being told to go away. They just, they just had enough and they, and they up and went. Um, but it seems like there has been a, ch a change in, in, in the sense that you've got someone who's fairly rational and smart about it, and that is Barbara Creasy. She's re responsible for the environment. And I assume she also assumes that, you know, the best thing for any country is to have its own sources of energy. Um, it, it's, it's lucrative. It's, it's, uh, cheaper in the long run, you don't keep on having to import other people's sources of energy. Um, and the reality is, and, uh, you know, the climate change activists can scream till they're blue in the face, but there does seem to be a move to some extent away from the absolutism of renewables simply on the basis that it is not nearly going to be enough and that if South Africa is going to develop as it, as it must and as it should, it is going to need recourse um, to 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 old fashioned um, uh, to old fashioned energy forms, and I think that's very positive. I assume she will have in that writing in a hundred and forty five sorry one hundred forty four page decision on it. She will have partly headed off what will undoubtedly be impending litigation. Um, everything in this life is a is a toss up between something and something else. Something has to give. And if we don't just want to be a completely failed state in the long run, or we want to come back from being a failed state, the idea of harvesting fossil fuels is, is critically important. And, and as I think I've effectively said, you'd rather have the big companies harvesting, the fuel, harvesting these resources because they have so many obligations on them by virtue of their global reach and their size than have some you know, nonsense little outfit you don't know anything about who doesn't feel compelled to abide by the same um, rules pertaining to the ecology. I think it's a very good sign. We'll just have to see whether they can withstand any, any legal pressure from a very, usually very well-resourced climate activist environment. So, Herman, we've seen a very big battle across the country in, I would say, the last year or so between the kind of environmental groups and the, the sort of renewables lobby and the, the fossil fuels lobby have kind of clashed with each other. Um, I'm not quite sure who you, we can say if there's one figure who leads the the the, the uh, in, uh, renewables lobby, but the fossil fuels lobby is definitely, I think, being led at this point by Guedemantashe, who recently said that all of the oil and gas around South Africa could give us an 8% growth rate to GDP. And he seemed to be pinning all of the country's hopes and maybe the ANC's hopes on the idea that we can just start pumping all of this oil and gas out of the, the ground. It will save the country from the disastrous economic policies that his party has inflicted upon it. Um, I mean, I think that there's something in that, but also I, I think that there's, you know, a limit to how far this stuff can go. If they treat 
oil and gas like they treat mining and the indications in the oil and gas bill that is going to be proposed soon um, mm -hmm. suggest that that may well in fact be the government's approach you know they're going to do uh, there's going to be big carve-outs for BE, there's going to be a state carve-out, there's going to be all sorts of restrictions of taxes and things. They may well strangle in the crib this potential, at least medium-term, golden goose. Um, Herman, what do you make of all this? It's, 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 a, it's a difficult thing because you, we, we, there are all the positives, uh, and, and, and Sarah listed many of them. Um, and Gwede isn't completely wrong in this in, in in the potential that might come from making use of fossil fuel resource richness. But the fundamental issue that I think cuts across all of these things is whether you're an individual or a company or a country, the way you increase your wealth is taking proper stock of what it is you have to offer and finding someone willing to pay for you to offer that thing, whether it's a product or a service or your time or your looks or your talent, whatever it might be. The challenge for you will not be in what your resources or what you have under your control. It is whether you can utilize them to a value-add extent. That's the real concern here. Total as a multinational company, will they have the freedom to stimulate economic activity through investments, um, through making the ripple if or getting the ripple effects of economic upliftment going? Will they be constrained by regulations and law? Will they be constrained by um, regulations and law in the environmental sense? Uh, will they be constrained by BEE and employment equity? Will they be constrained by possibly the expectation that a buck has to pass under a table somewhere for a deal to go through? That's the situation that we end up getting into when there's this thing that obviously has value that really now is up to whether the environment of expectations allows for it to be exploited as a source of value. That's where my worry sits, is that either my fears, these are my fears, either Total has a sort of a, 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 a anti-competitive deal with the government where the government and Total get disproportionate advantage and run non-value-add exploitation. Or Total is so uh, inhibited by all these various factors that they can't actually utilize this as a value-add economic opportunity, or that fundamentally the idea of a country as poor as South Africa having the luxury of caring about anything other than making life in South Africa better, whether that might be fashionable enough as an idea to scupper the opportunity to bring this thing that is obviously valuable to market. 
the concern here, and we saw it with the Amazon development in the observatory area, we, I mean, beggars can't be choosers, but beggars, I don't think we even rise to the dignity of a beggar nation at this stage. We have to seriously take stock of what it is we have to offer and find the best way to offer that to people willing to pay for it. If that means oil, great. But my fear is that we just have too much uncertainty, too much value uh, 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 sapping hurdles to get over to make this a long-term good news story. So, I mean, that's a very, very long about winding, meandering way of saying, oh, my word, I hope for the best. Sarah, any final thoughts on this? Uh, uh, other than to say, on the short road, that Herman is, Herman's right about this. I'm kind of hopeful that, you know, exploration takes a while and realizing actual wells takes longer. So then you like the ANC as a government will be dead by the time they actually have to sign any contracts that will benefit the country. So we might actually benefit the country. I, I think it literally is, it, it's a timing game. And, I, and another possibility, and I'm only, his, you know, I can't say for sure, but I imagine the enthusiasm of Total and Shell as well lies in the fact that it's reading some of the political signs. And if it's not 2024, it'll be 2029. In other words, it'll, they'll reach a point where it actually can get into a proper commercial partnership on this thing that isn't just to serve bloated elites. And no, Nick, think... just something I, I very, very quickly want to add on this that I wanted to mention but got lost in my own thought. Montage should be very, very careful. Venezuela is a terrifying example of a resource-rich country gone up, you know, excrement creek without the hintest thing of a paddle. Natural resources do not a successful economy make. Look at Iceland. Essentially, I mean, what, what natural resources do they have? I mean, the northern lights, if we're, if we're going to be kind. Geothermal. Yes, yes. So the, the, um, That's the, the, the point is that natural resources shouldn't be in a sort of Marxist, Marxist agrarian turn of the 20th century way, shouldn't be seen as the be-all and end-all of economic health. You can have a services economy as London has, as Singapore has, as Hong Kong has, without any natural resources. And you can have all the natural resources that you want, like the Congo and Zambia, well, that's a bit on the up, and Venezuela and Bolivia, and still have awful politics ruin this potential. So by no means should Guede Montache be allowed anywhere near anything that might see him in charge of developing this sort of policy with the bizarre idea that just pointing at oil and saying that's ours will somehow turn a failing economy into a non-failing one. Yeah, exactly. As we all know, Nigeria is a country with no problems where everything is absolutely hunky-dory. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's go on to our next topic. And this is one that just keeps coming back up. Um, I think Homer actually last time you were on the show, we talked about this as well. Uh, and that is the water situation in Kharteng. And we increasingly seeing sort of 
I don't know quite what to call them, very worrying noises from Rand Water and the Water and Sanitation Minister about the state of, of the, the province's water infrastructure. So uh, there's been lots of water shortages in both Joburg and Tsuane. Rand Water is blaming the cities for too much consumption, and the cities are basically saying that Rand Water is not supplying enough water, that there's something, they're just not pumping enough. Well, uh, the Minister of Water and Sanitation, Senzo Machunu, has directed Randwater to begin doing something that he that has been called load shifting in the water network. And the idea of this is to redirect water flow from areas with lower consumption to areas with higher consumption um, to, I guess, balance the water supply more so that uh, there's fewer shortages. Um, this is exactly the kind of thing that makes me think that the system is actually in a very bad state. Uh, I, you know, I'm not a water engineer, so I don't know exactly what all of this entails and how much of a difference it's going to make. But I think unless there is some serious change around water soon, uh, we're going to face in the country's economic heartland uh, some very big problems with water. Uh, I think we've only seen the beginning of, of what we might call watershedding, unfortunately. Herman, uh, am I justified in my fears? What do you think about this? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. The um, it started with uh, policing. It went on to um, uh, electricity, uh, and the next frontier of state failure, leading to privatization by necessity, is water. Um, the 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 I it, and and the tragedy of this is just broaden, widens that gap between the haves and the have-nots even further. If you can afford solar panels, you're fine. You're out of the load-shedding situation, as at least as, as to, to the extent of your personal existence, the market consequences you still experience. If you can afford ADT or Fidelity or, or, or Bull or whoever, you, you are relatively protected from the pillage and, and, the, and the pandemic of crime. And, and the next frontier is, is, is water. If you are rich enough to sink a borehole, you're going to be probably fine-ish. But as per usual, the people who suffer will be the people who are left behind. Um, and the real, the real tragedy is that this was completely, completely avoidable, avoidable. If we look at the deterioration of natural waterways over the last 10 years, um, if we look at the deterioration of infrastructure, maintenance, it, it really... It comes down to the type of nonsense that was in a story that we almost covered where Transnet paid 29 rand for a breathalyzer straw that costs 28 cents. That is what went wrong with South Africa's water system. Small, small things became unaffordable because at every level of the patronage network, there was someone stripping from the top to cushion and, and line their own pockets. And it became, it comes down to the basics of paying for a contract at a municipal government level at a Rand water level is at the end of the day, there's nothing terribly complex about local government management like water and Rand Water didn't have a difficult job. It had a very, very mundane mechanical job 
that policies sunk, that corruption sunk, that preferred procurement sunk, that BEE sunk, and that cadre deployment sunk, an avoidable human catastrophe uh, of immense scale, immense scale, is about to play out in the next 10 years in the inner provinces um, because people will just die of thirst. Sarah, any thoughts? Just to say the irony of having a resource that at the moment we're not short of water. Um, there's water. There's plenty of water. Uh, we've had good rains for the last few years, and uh, I, don't know, I don't think it's going to be quite as good this year, but we've got water. I believe uh, the, the dams that feed uh, Gauteng are all either close to or over okay. capacity. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. So essentially it is all about human involvement, and if human involvement is ANC involvement, uh, we've got what we expect. Um, uh, this sort of water diversion or whatever they call it, you know, it's it's entirely, it, I mean, for what essentially Rand Water has been trying to say is that, you know, we've been using too much water. We haven't been using too much water. They haven't been allocating sufficient water because pipes are broken and things are leaking. And on larger scales, all and all, every single day, we all know, I mean, I've got a street near me, which we've got, and it's small, you know, it's not a very long street. It's just a block. It's got four holes of so large. I think um, there's going to become a point where cars are just going to drive into them and never drive out again. Um, but that's that's what it is. It's 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 the story of our politics writ large as governed by the ANC. That's that's what it's about. And the only way we're going to make a difference is if they manage to start doing some serious repair on a really big basis, which I'm sure they have no money for. Oh, definitely. Okay, I think uh, Herman, if you have any final thoughts, uh, just that, and then we'll close it for today. There's an easy way out of this. Auction off the streets. Give give residents the opportunity to buy the street, and then to manage the water infrastructure there. I mean, it 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 really is 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 simplicity. Not that I'm I'm just slightly joking about that. But the long and short of it is that, and we've spoken about this a few months ago, Nick. We are seeing many many chickens coming home to roost at long last. The fiscal situation in South Africa, the power situation in South Africa, the youth and employment situation in South Africa, the water situation, crime, healthcare, every single chicken that the ANC has ever mutated in its bad laboratory of evil ideas is coming home to roost. And they're all rather venomous and they're going to kill us unless, unless South Africans step up and, you know, uh, realize that the way things have been isn't the way things need to be. These failures are so mundane that the solutions are equally relatively simple, if not easy. It would be the perfect storm, but we don't have enough water to have a storm. <laughs> I, I would also like to say that this is, I, I hope, going to be an election uh, issue in Gauteng um, in the next uh, when, when we get to the elections next year, because Gauteng is really going to be in play. I think there's very little doubt about that. Um, and I, I, I hope that uh, there will be a lot of noise made about this issue and hopefully some improvement. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. We hope that you found this show interesting. We will be back tomorrow with the Daily Friend Wrap. And I hope that you all have a wonderful afternoon. Cheers, everyone.